from 1 Corinthians 9, verses 25 to 27. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate that. Folks, good morning. Glad you all are here. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, why don't you grab them with me at this point in time and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew. So in your New Testament, the very first book in your New Testament, if you're using one of the pew Bibles in front of you, you can uh, turn to page 785. Matthew chapter 4 is where we will begin. We will see three primary texts in the Gospel of Matthew, and we'll be referencing several others as we continue our sermon series on the spiritual disciplines, training ourselves for godliness, training ourselves for godliness. This morning, we come to what may be the most overlooked and underpracticed and underappreciated spiritual discipline in the American church. That is the discipline, are you ready? Of fasting. The discipline of fasting. Yes, we just talked about having a Thanksgiving feast. Before that, maybe we can do a little fasting to prepare ourselves for that. So Matthew chapter 4. I hope you're there. Let's pray and we'll dive in. Let's pray together, church. Father, we pray that you would uh, be with us as we turn to open your word. In particular, Father, we want to hear about how we can participate in the disciplines relating to having your ear. Father, we have learned about uh, individual, private prayer, and we have learned about corporate prayer. Now we turn to a spiritual discipline that is often related to prayer, and that is the discipline of fasting. Father, we pray that you would help us in particular on this subject to have open hearts, to have open minds, to hear from your word what you have to say, not only about the discipline of it, but the tremendous benefits spiritually that are available to us who know your Son, Jesus Christ, as Savior and Lord for saying no to our bodily appetites so that we can say yes to more of you. Help us to do that, we pray. Christ's name. And God's people said, amen. You know, when I was a kid, and if I were honest, it happens even today, about 30 minutes to an hour before uh, dinner or lunch, any particular meal, but in particular for me, it's, it's dinner. About 30 minutes or an hour before dinner, I start to feel this this little grumbling going on in my stomach. You may know what I'm talking about. You kind of start to feel a little something happening in your stomach, and you start to say, it's, it's almost dinner time, right? It's, it's almost time to eat. And as the clock continues to tick down towards dinner time, it grows, right? Your appetite is stirring, and you know your body is telling you it's time to eat. And I don't know if it's just me or maybe it's you, but uh, as it wanes and as it gets closer to, to mealtime, I start to get tempted. Do you start to get tempted? I start to get tempted just to sneak a little bit of something, you know, just to kind of curb my appetite. Maybe it's something not healthy for me like chips or, or candy, or maybe it's something totally healthy like some fruit or maybe some nuts, just something to, to kind of fill your stomach to get you till mealtime. Now, when I was younger, as a, as a child, I would often uh, raid the refrigerator or open the pantry about 30 minutes before dinner time because I wanted just to 
to fill my belly. You know, I, I didn't like these hunger pains, and my mom would often catch me doing that. And she would often stop me. And what do you think she said to me in that moment? What did your mom say to you in that moment? And for you moms out there, what do you tell your kids in that moment? Well, I'll tell you what my mom said. She said something to the effect of, Trey, don't spoil your what? Your appetite, right? She said, Trey, don't spoil your appetite. Now, what did she mean by that? She had prepared for us a a good meal, a healthy meal that she knew was good for me. And she didn't want me to spoil or, or ruin my appetite on things that were not as good, right? On things that wouldn't exactly meet the criteria that she had for me, right? She knew that the meal she had prepared for me was better than what I really wanted at that moment to satisfy my cravings with. And, and oftentimes I would grab things, not even junk food, just, you know, something kind of healthy. And she would say, don't spoil your appetite. And so what my mom did to me, as you moms probably do to your kids, is you know what you did? You imposed a fast. Did you not? You imposed a fast on your children. You said, you may not eat anything for this 30 minutes until mealtime. You imposed a fast on them. My mom imposed a fast on me, albeit a very short one. Friends, sometimes we need to fast from the good things in life in order not to spoil our appetite for the best thing in life. That is God himself. See, a real danger for the overstuffed American church is that we have learned to gorge ourselves on the blessings of God, food and otherwise, and in the process we have spoiled our appetite for the person of God. The person of God. So today we are going to be talking about fasting, the third spiritual discipline to help us learn to have God's ear. See, fasting and prayer often go together. In fact, almost every time in the Bible we see fasting showing up with prayer. In fact, John Piper calls fasting the hungry handmaiden of prayer. They go together. Now, my guess, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or anything like that, but my guess is if you are like me, is that many of you have never participated in the spiritual discipline of fasting before much less ever heard an entire sermon devoted to the subject of fasting. Now, if you have fasted before, and if you have heard an entire sermon on fasting before, then consider yourself fortunate. Because fasting in our American culture, the American church, is kind of passé, right? It's, it's fallen on hard times. And it's no coincidence, then, that we live in a culture that can not only say no to its appetites for good things, much less for evil things. But we live in a culture that celebrates the unbridled indulging of our appetites. Do we not? Friends, is this not true? This is true. And that's why this spiritual discipline, the discipline of fasting, it's fallen on hard times, but it needs a revival. That's why we need this discipline so desperately. So friends, my prayer for you is that you have an open heart and an open mind to the benefits of what may happen in your life spiritually if you choose to go this route of self-denial for the sake of something better, for the sake of experiencing God more fully and more deeply. 
So let's begin this way. Let's define what we mean by the practice of fasting. Let's take a look, first of all, at the, at the practice. What is fasting? What is fasting? Uh, Pastor Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, in his sermon, studies on the, in, the, in the Sermon on the Mount, writes this. And I think his, help, his definition of fasting is helpful. He says, fasting should really be made to include abstinence from anything which is legitimate in and of itself for the sake of some special spiritual purpose. Let me read that again so we can get it. Fasting should really be made to include abstinence from anything which is legitimate in and of itself for the sake of some special spiritual purpose. So notice three things, three important things about this definition of fasting. Number one, first of all, fasting is from legitimate things. It's not from illegitimate things. So, so friends, Christians, you don't fast from drunkenness, right? You're not going to say, I'm going to take a fast from drunkenness. That's, that's not what you do. You don't fast from pornography, right? Those things you repent of as Christians. So we fast from legitimate things, not from illegitimate things. We fast from things that are inherently good. They are inherently good blessings from God. Those are the things that we choose to fast from. Number two, we fast for a spiritual purpose. That's very important when we consider this discipline. While there may be and likely are some health benefits that come along with fasting, fasting is not a new dietary strategy, right? So don't take this and say, yeah, I'm going to go, you know, get healthy and lose weight and all that stuff. That may happen when you fast, but that's not the point, right? Fasting is for a specific spiritual purpose. And we'll talk about six of those purposes here in just a minute. Third, fasting can be from anything legitimate. Now, in the Bible, when you talk about fasting, most often, not all the time, but most often in the Bible, fasting is from food and sometimes even from drink. So normally, fasting involves abstinence from food, but it doesn't necessarily have to do that. We can fast from other good things, from other blessings that the Lord has given us and legitimately call it biblical fasting. And that's good news for for those of you who may have medical conditions. You can't fast from certain types of foods or foods at all, the good news is is that you can still participate in this spiritual discipline. So it's from legitimate things. It's for a spiritual purpose. And it can be anything legitimate. Now, when we look in the Bible, we uh, can observe different things about fasting. We'll go over these rather quickly. There are uh, various forms of fasting in the Bible. It's not cut and dry. So fasting can be personal in the Bible, and it can be communal. It can be public and it can be private. It can be congregational, and it can be even national. It can be done regularly, or it can be done sporadically. It can be done partially, that is, from uh, particular foods and drinks, and it can be done absolutely from food and drink. So, for instance, fast can be partial, or they can be absolute. So, take Daniel. You may remember from the book of Daniel that Daniel participated in a partial fast. He chose to abstain from, quote, choice food, So the very best food that was available to him, he chose to fast from that. They can be partial. They can also be absolute. We see this oftentimes in the Bible. Absolute, that is fasting from both food and from water. It's it's not the norm, but it does happen in the Bible. Take, for instance, Esther and Mordecai. Remember that story? They had an absolute fast. We see Paul doing it. We see Moses doing it. We see Elijah doing it as well. Again, this is the exception, right? Right? not the rule. 
these fasts that we just talked about were individual fasts. They were people doing it on their own. But we often see in the Old Testament, and sometimes in the New Testament as well, corporate fasts. So you can fast individually, or you can fast together, right? We see this happening in the Old Testament. In fact, the Day of Atonement was really the only public required fast in Israel. We see it in Leviticus 23. So one day a year, all of God's people were were required to fast for one day. The only required fast in the Old Testament. But corporate fasting happened uh, I don't want to say regularly, but, but throughout the history of Israel, often in response to national emergencies. So there's an army at your doorstep, you fasted, right? Uh, there, uh, there's sins to be repented of, you fasted. There are all sorts of instances where groups of people, the nation of Israel, came together to fast unto the Lord. Fasting in the Old Testament often was sporadic, but as we move into later biblical history, into the New Testament period, and the very end of the Old Testament, we see that um, fasting became more regular rather than sporadic. So in Zechariah chapter uh, 8, we see regular fasts were held. That is, the Jews uh, moving into the end of the Old Testament started to fast regularly. When you look in the New Testament, you see that the Pharisees fasted two days a week. Two days a week. I believe it was Monday and Wednesday, but don't quote me on that. Luke chapter 18. And Paul, we are told, fasted often. So here's the point. We get fasting all throughout the Bible, right? In the Old Testament, you see fasting. In the New Testament, you see fasting in a whole host of forms and ways. But friends, you can't read the Bible and miss this spiritual discipline. It's throughout the Bible. So we've seen what fasting is. Is. We've seen the practice. Let's take a look at the prescription. That is, what is fasting when we fast, when I fast? What is the goal? What is the aim? What, what am I seeking to fix in my own life, spiritually speaking, by fasting? See, like all spiritual disciplines, the habit of fasting is a prescription for a heart that does not hunger for God as much as it should. Friends, I don't know about you, But when I examine my spiritual life and I say, God, how much do I want you? The answer is never enough, right? The answer is, I could always want God more. And like every spiritual discipline, the discipline of of fasting helps us fix that problem. It helps us to develop a hunger for God. It shares this ultimate purpose to know God and to, to delight in God more, right? And, and here's the, the tricky thing about fasting. It both reveals and it remedies. So what does fasting reveal? When we fast, it reveals anything in our hearts and lives that has, it has mastery over our affections. That is, our, our, our slave master, if you will, over our affections and over our desires. But at the same time, it remedies those things. It replaces those affections with affections for God. So here's a short video from jo- uh, Pastor John Piper. He's speaking about a, a book called A Hunger for God. And he explains, I think, rather well fast, fasting's prescription and its purpose. So let's watch this rather quickly. Because the point of fasting is to become a certain kind of person. It's to break ourselves free from certain kinds of idolatry, and it's to express the deepest longings of our heart for Jesus. There is nothing evil about food. In fact, there are numerous texts in the Bible that says God has given us the good things of the world to eat and drink, and we should turn that feasting into thanksgiving. 
However, in this fallen world where we are prone to love things wrongly, we need strategies, and God has given us one, like fasting, to discern our own hearts, to test our own hearts. Does food, does television, does the internet, does anything have a grip on me? And seasonal fasting, periodic fasting, weekly fasting, monthly fasting, whatever God leads you to, is one strategy of testing whether something has an undue, inordinate hold on your life. Fasting for me, and I believe this is biblical, is the exclamation point at the end of the prayer, God, I need you more than anything. I need you more than food. I need you more than sleep. I need you more than money. I need you more than the internet. And therefore, I will go without something in order to say that to you with my body. I will worship you as my supreme satisfaction with my body right now. And so we're not earning anything by fasting. We are saying to God, he's everything to us. And he became that because of Jesus Christ and what he did for us. So I invite you into a life of prayer and fasting that will deliver us in some measure from the creeping idolatries of our life and that will intensify our prayers, oh God, I love you, I need you, I want you above all things. There we go. Hear me now? Do you want to find out what has a hold of your heart? Do you want to find out if there is an idol sitting on the throne of your heart? That's that's what fasting does. So you think that food is controlling you? Then you take it away for a minute, and then you see what happens in your life. You think that social media is controlling you? Well, then see what happens and how you respond when you take it away, right? You see how this works? That's what fasting does. It is a prescription for a heart that doesn't hunger for God. So friends, that is what fasting is for. It's the ultimate purpose. But there are secondary purposes for fasting. And let's take a look at those now. When we look at the Bible... From the beginning to end, I see six purposes, if you will, penultimate purposes under the umbrella of desiring and wanting more of God. I think there are secondary purposes for fasting. I see six of them, six of them in the Bible. We'll, we'll go through these quickly. Number one, we fast in order to strengthen our prayers. We fast in order to strengthen our prayers. We see it in 2 Samuel 2 in Ezra chapter 8. Friends, do you want to show God the intensity of a particular prayer? God, I really desire this. I really want your will in this area, in this request. Then why not wed specific praying with fasting? That's what people did in the Bible. They said, God, I'm praying to you, and I want to show you that I, I, I desire your will for this prayer this much. And they wed fasting with prayer. So we, we fast to strengthen prayers. Number two, we fast in order to seek guidance. We see this throughout the scriptures, Judges chapter 20, Acts chapter 13, and in other places. So when God's people wanted a word from the Lord, they wanted to know, God, what should we do? How should we respond? There's an important decision for us to make. Then they prayed and they fasted. 
So friends, I don't know if there's a decision looming for you. If you want particular insight to some uh, circumstance in your life, then why not just not pray, but fast as well? Number three, number three, we fast in order to express grief. This one stood out to me. Numerous times in the Bible, we see it happening. 1 Samuel 31, 2 Samuel 1, Nehemiah 1, and on and on and on. God's people expressed their broken hearts by fasting. We see it over and over again. So is there something that's just laying heavy on your heart? Maybe a a, a loss of a loved one, a broken relationship, some painful event in the past or in the present? It's an appropriate way for us to grieve before the Lord by fasting. What a wonderful way to express our humanity and our fallenness. Number four, we grieve to express repentance. Again, this one is throughout the Bible. When God's people were caught up in sin, they were called to repentance and they recognized their errors and their sins. Do you know what they did? They fasted with prayer. They fasted. So friends, Do you want to demonstrate to God your heartfelt sorrow over a particular sin in your life? Maybe a particular sin struggle that's ongoing and you're just wanting to to have mastery over it. Then why not add to the menu of prayer, fasting with repentance, seeking the Lord? Number five, people fasted in order to humble themselves before the Lord, to recognize that He is God and that we are not. When they were caught up in pride, they humbled themselves by fasting. So friends, do you want to show God that you recognize your great need for Him? The the cry of your heart is, God, I need you. I can't do this on my own. I'm not strong enough. Then why not fast? Number six, to overcome temptation. We see this, of course, in the life of Jesus, which we'll turn to in just a minute. To overcome temptation. Is there a temptation that you know that you will be facing in the future? Maybe you're currently facing it, a specific situation. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's as you're traveling. Maybe it's with a family member. Whatever that might be, it's a, it's a sin struggle. There's temptation headed your way. Then why not, like Jesus did, fast, right? To say no to your bodily urges so that you can say no to that temptation, when it comes your way. Well, we've seen what fasting is. We've seen what it's a prescription for. We've seen several underlying purposes for fasting. Let's take a look now at the precedent for fasting. So friends, let me ask you, should fasting be something that Christians do? That's the question that's before us. Is it something that is not only commended to us, but it's something, is it something that is commanded to us? That's the question that is before us. And let me be the first to confess this. As I have been trained in my spiritual life and practice much of it, I have not seen fasting as a first-order discipline. I... You know, when I, when, I, uh, when I was in youth ministry, uh, a kid would come to faith in Christ, and I'd say, okay, here's what you need to do. You need to go to church, and you need to read your Bible, and you need to pray, and all these things. But you know what I never once told a kid? You need to start fasting. I never did that. And my guess is no one ever told you that. Why is that? I think it's simply because it's hard, and we don't want to do it, right? But let me make this argument. I think fasting should be considered as a first-order spiritual discipline just like the rest of them. So let's take a look first in Matthew chapter 4. You have your Bibles open, hopefully. You can look on the screen behind me. Let's turn to Matthew 4 to see Jesus' precedent of fasting. Let me ask you this. Did Jesus practice fasting? 
Well, we know he did at least once because we see it recorded in Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was led. Now, this is after his baptism, right? Then Jesus was led, notice these key words, by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Verse 2, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. No duh, right? (laughs) You think? You fast 40 days and 40 nights. He became hungry. So, of course, this is um, uh, after Jesus' baptism. And and what happens this after this? You remember? Who comes to Jesus? Satan does, right? This is the temptation of Jesus. What's going on here? There's a lot of things going on here. But Matthew presents Jesus here in this setting as the ultimate Israelite. See, remember, Israel failed in this regard. Where Israel failed, Jesus will succeed. Remember, how long was Israel tempted in the, in the wilderness wandering? How long? Forty what? Forty years, right? Israelites were, were tested with hunger. And did they pass that test? No, they did not. Because what did they want to do? Their tummies rumbled, and what did they say? Let's go back to Egypt, because what was in Egypt? Food. Remember that? They failed this temptation. Jesus will succeed. Jesus is tempted for how many days in the desert? No coincidence. Forty days in the desert, right? And Jesus says no to legitimate desires and to Satan's temptations, showing that, as he said in John 4, 34, he says, my food, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So here's the simple point. Jesus, at least once in the Gospels, practiced the spiritual discipline of fasting, I think, in order to overcome temptation. So here's the second point. Jesus is our example. He fasted. But let me ask you this. Did Jesus talk about fasting? The answer is yes in two key places. Turn with me in the Gospel of Matthew to chapter 6. So just one or two pages in your Bible. Matthew chapter 6. And lo and behold, we see Jesus teaching about fasting. Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 and 18. Jesus said this, chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. When you fast, he teaches his followers, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen." And your father who, who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So here's the deal. It's, the context is significant here, right? It's on the heels that Jesus is teaching about spiritual disciplines. If you recall in chapter 6, what has Jesus already talked about? He's talked about praying. Do you think praying is something Christians should do? Shake your head yes. He talks about giving financially. Is, is giving something Christians should do? Shake your head, yes. And then, lo and behold, what does he talk about? Fasting. In the same category, right? It's almost as if Jesus is saying, uh, fasting for the Christian should be as basic to following Jesus as asking things from God in prayer and giving to others in generosity, right? Why do we not think of fasting along the same lines as prayer and giving? Why not? Here it is in the text. And, And notice, twice this text has three key words. Did you notice them? It's in verse 16, when you fast. Verse 17, but when you fast. Friends, does it say if you fast? Shake your heads no. It does not say if you fast, if you choose to fast, if you want to fast. When you follower of Jesus fast. 
So does Jesus assume that Christians will fast? Shake your head, yes. I want to see more of you. Shaking your head, yes. Yes, right? This is clear in the text. So let's take a look at a second instance. Matthew chapter 9. So again, just flip a few pages in your Bible. Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. Uh, starting in, oh, about verse 14. Matthew 9, verse 14 and 15. Then, then John's disciples came and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Verse 15, Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come, the time will come, when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast. I find this fascinating, right? So John the Baptist has his own disciples, and they come to Jesus. And apparently they're a little perturbed, aren't they? Why, why are they angry? Why, what are they frustrated about? Because they're missing meals, and Jesus' followers are not, right? I would probably do the same. Um, hey, this isn't quite fair. We're fasting, but your followers aren't fasting. And, and the way that Jesus responds is beautiful. He says, he gives them a picture of a wedding. He says, I am like the bridegroom, and my disciples are like groomsmen. In my coming to earth, it's like a wedding. It's a, it's a time of celebration. The Messiah, the King, God is among you. And so at a wedding, you don't fast, you don't mourn, you feast, right? Is what Jesus says. And then he says these key words, right? He says, when he is taken away from them, I think referring to his ascension into heaven, in which he still resides today. He says, when I'm taken away from them, what? Then they will do what? Fast. Then they will fast. Yet again, Jesus assumes his followers will fast. When he was on earth, it was time for feasting. But now until his return, it is a time for fasting. Let me ask you, did the early church understand his teaching? Did they understand what he meant? I would argue that they did several times in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 9, verses thir- uh, chapter 13, chapter 14, and on and on. Even in Paul's epistles, we see that the early church took Jesus' words literally, and we find them fasting. So friends, why are we unwilling to engage in this spiritual discipline? I think we should. Let's take a look now at the praxis, the praxis of it. That is, how can we put this into practice? Six, uh, five points of, of application here. What, what could it look like for me and you to participate in this spiritual discipline? So here's my assumption. My assumption is that most of you have never fasted before for spiritual purposes. Maybe you have for dietary purposes, but not for spiritual purposes. I hope some of you have. Continue to do that. And so I'm going to give some application points that are for beginners, okay? So I'm starting at ground level. So if you are like, hey, I fast three times a week. Okay, you might need a little bit more than what I'm going to give you. Come talk to me. There are great resources out there. But what I'm going to do is give some very uh, basic kind of starting applications, right? Because I think that's probably where we're at. So application point number one, according to Mathis in his book, um, Habits of, of, of Grace, Number one, start small. So if you are moved and the Holy Spirit is telling you, this is something I need to do as a Christian, start small. Don't be like Elijah. Don't be like Moses. Don't be like Jesus. Don't say, I'm going to do a 40-day fast. Here we go, right? Probably not going to work very well for you. So start small, right? Start by fasting one meal. Try one meal. It can be breakfast. It can be lunch. It can be dinner, right? Second dinners don't count, right? Assuming three meals a day, choose one. 
Choose one and start there. And then if you handle that okay, then say, you know what, maybe I can do one meal a month. One meal a month. And you try that. And then you say, okay, that was good. I'm going to do one meal a week. And you see where I'm going with this, right? Start small and then go from there. You can do a two-meal fast. Once you're like, I've got this one, one meal thing down, push the limit to do two meals. And then you can go on from there. So start small. Um, here's a little point of advice. If you're doing uh, anything over two meals, do what is called, start off by doing what is called a juice fast. And what that is, is that you're not eating food and you are drinking water, in fact, lots of water, um, but you can do juice, right? Gatorade, orange juice, whatever. Pick your juice. That will really help you uh, kind of get over that hump. And you can move on from there, right? Uh, so start, just start small, right? But start somewhere. Number, number two, plan with purpose, Fast with purpose. So each time we fast, we should have a specific spiritual purpose in mind. Remember those six biblical purposes. Choose one and say, this is the purpose for which I am fasting. I have a prayer request that, God, I want to show you how much I desire your will. So I'm going to fast for it. God, I have a a question, a decision. I need insight. Fast with it, right? God, my heart is broken over this certain circumstance, so I'm going to fast, right? God, I, I keep messing up in this area, and I want to express my grief to you, so fast. God, I recognize that I'm a proud man, so I'm going to humble myself before you and fast. God, I have a temptation that's coming my way. I know it's coming. It's coming tomorrow. I'm going to fast, right? So pick one of those purposes and fast, because if you just fast willy-nilly without any kind of purpose, then all you're doing is going hungry, And that's not Christian at all, right? So fast with a purpose. Um, So this week I I decided, I I always try to do this. Never perfect, but I I try to practice what I'm going to preach, right? So this week I was like, here we go. And I fasted a little bit in my past, but certainly not a a ton, you know. Like I'm a novice in this as well. And so I picked a couple days and, uh, and I started small, just like I'm telling you. And I had a specific purpose in mind. And for me, I, there was, there was a, a, a sin pattern. There was this, this reaction that I, that I kept seeing in my life. And I, I said, God, this grieves me and it's, it grieves you. So I'm going to fast and I'm going to give you access to my heart in this particular area. And I want you to change me. Now, do, am I still going to mess up there? Probably. I hope not. But I hope that it's going to be a start for God to have access in my life so that when that temptation, when that response comes, his spirit has taught me to say no to that because I've been saying no to myself in the area of food. Does that make sense? Number three, consider how it will affect others. I think this is a big one. So Jesus taught us not to make it obvious that we're fasting. We don't need to have a megaphone with us, right? I'm fasting today. I'm fasting today, right? But I don't think that necessarily means that we can't let those closest to us know that we are fasting because it affects them, right? So um, think, think, of, think of this. If you, are, if you regularly eat lunch, say with a coworker or a spouse or friends, don't just um, like miss the, the appointment, right? Don't just be a no-show. Let them know. If, you, uh, if your spouse cooks for you and you plan to skip dinner, let them know so that they don't make a lovely meal that you don't plan to partake. If you are cooking the meal and you are going to fast and you don't plan to cook that night, let your spouse know so that he or she can do the cooking, right? You just see, it's just common courtesy, right? Think of others as you're fasting, right? Consider how it affects also your mood and your energy level. 
I don't know about you, but when I get hungry, I tend to get a little cranky, a little perturbed, you know? That's part of it. So consider your mood. Consider how it will affect others. Consider your energy level as you work, as you parent. All of those things are on the table. In fact, Mathis says this, if anything, others should feel even more loved and cared for when you're fasting. So consider how your fasting will affect others. Others. Number four, try different kinds of fasting. So in the Bible, personal fasting, private fasting is kind of normative, but fasting can be communal. You can fast with others. How cool would it be, um, maybe if you have older kids, to say, kids, we're going to fast one meal together as a family. And you make it a communal event, or maybe even with your extended family, maybe with your Bible study, right? Or even an entire local church can have a day of fasting. So try different types of fasting. And not only that, if you're like, man, I don't know if I can go without food for one meal. Okay, try fast. Or, or maybe it's not even food. Maybe you feel like technology has, has this grip on you. You can fast from other things. So try a technology fast. Put the phone away. Put the computer away for a day. And just see what happens in your spiritual life. See what God reveals about what you want, what you need, what you think you have to have, right? And maybe, maybe it's a, a technology fast. Maybe it's a fast from social media. So friends, that little Facebook icon, you can say no to it, right? You can say no to it, right? Maybe it's a social media fast. You see where I'm going. It doesn't have to be food. In fact, I think it's most useful if, there, if you think that there's a, a, a something in your life, it's a good thing but you feel like that you're starting to love that more than you should. Try fasting from that and see what the Lord may do. Number five, use the pain to train your heart. Use the pain to train your heart. This is what's going to happen. You're going to say, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do a a one-meal fast, and you're skipping the meal, and your stomach is going to start to rumble if it's food, and then it's going to move from rumbling to, boy, I feel a little pain in my stomach. And uh, it's going to get challenging. And in that moment, uh, what we should do is not turn our hearts and minds towards the pain, but towards God. And remember, why am I doing this, right? And so um, when my stomach started to feel a little, I'm hungry, I, I remembered I'm fasting because I have this response and it's ungodly. God, this is why I'm fasting. Help me to overcome the pain. And so you turn your attention away from the pain and towards the purpose, right, of the fast. Allow the pain to spur you into prayer to Jesus for his causes. So I can think of no better way to to wrap up our time here with a reminder from Mathis, uh, again in his book, as to why we can fast now. Why can we fast now in this life? Follow along behind me. He says this, We fast in this life because we believe in the life to come. We don't have to get it all here and now because we have a promise that we will have it all in the age to come. We fast from what we can see and taste because we have tasted and seen the goodness of the invisible God and are desperately hungry for more of him. Fasting is for this world, for stretching our hearts to get fresh air beyond the pain and trouble around us. And it is for the sin and weakness inside of us about which we express our discontent and long for more of Christ. Notice this. When Jesus returns, fasting will be done. It is a temporary measure. 
for this life and age to enrich our joy in Jesus and prepare our hearts for the next and for seeing him face to face. When he returns, he will not call a fast but throw a feast. Then all holy abstinence will have served its glorious purpose and to be seen by all for what a gift it was. But until then, friends, until then, we fast. Let's pray together. Father, this is a difficult teaching for us. We are all used to saying yes to our bodies, to our desires, to our appetites. And Lord, you have taught us that if we want to follow you, that we must say no, that we must say no to ourselves, take up our cross and follow you. Lord, this is only one tool that you've given us in our toolbox for those of us who have placed our faith in your son, Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of our sins, for eternal life, simply by trusting in him and receiving this free salvation. Our hearts have been changed and we want to know you and our sin grieves us. So we thank you for this discipline. Father, we pray that you would help us to have open hearts and minds and that you would help us to dive into this discipline. It has so much to offer through your grace. Change us, we pray, in the name of Jesus. And all God's people together said, amen. Thanks for coming, guys. See you next week.